Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Naked Gaming Podcast with me, Chris Barrow. And me, Georgia Mills. Hooray, brand new podcast time, very exciting. I think we need to explain who we are, firstly. Um, the idea behind this podcast is we're going to look at gaming news, review new game releases and stuff like that. And I think it's fair to say that we're gaming enthusiasts. <laughs> nerds, you mean? <laughs> you mean, yeah, I do mean nerds. I absolutely mean nerds. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, shall I tell you my gaming history first? Because I actually wrote this down and I was kind of shocked at how many consoles i've gone through uh, should i have prepared more i haven't written down everything i've ever played you, you know neither have i which is good because there's some embarrassing ones in here including my horse and me too which is a game that will never be mentioned again ever on this podcast um but i started off with so i did the game boy thing um and then sega mega drives you know that sort of thing n64 ps2 xbox 360 and then recently i bought myself an xbox one so i kind of turned into like an xbox kind of person in recent times what about you georgia um, so I, I think the first game I ever remember playing was uh, Donkey Kong. Yes. Uh, it was at a friend's house, and I used to love visiting this friend. And I wouldn't speak to the friend; <laughs> I would just play, jumping from barrel to barrel. Wow! Just and... total silence. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah, I don't speak to them anymore. Wow. Um, <laughs> they got rid of the console. <laughs> no, I'm, um, I, I'm a, I've got a PlayStation Four, yeah. and I've had a PlayStation Two and a PlayStation One. So I think I've been a sort of pretty steady on the playstations ah. and also i've sort of just got into steam but i have a mac so it's not super good at uh, the games they're they're usually breaking but yes. uh, yeah love 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 it online when you're just doing it uh, trying to shoot everything and your computer goes black and uh, <laughs> then your character dies it's like real life and game also, over yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and then there's the casual phone gaming you know on, yeah. on the train commuting that kind of thing what's your train uh, what's your train gaming like because i i've recently started doing um, you know, like Borderlands, uh, they do like like Telltale games. You know, the story ones where you like um, Walking Dead and stuff. You click the buttons. That's like ideal for the train for me because you don't really have to think. You just do a bit of swiping. I actually like the thinky ones. Oh so, no! <laughs> yeah, I get really addicted to the dumb ones like Candy Crush and spend <laughs> yeah. absolute hours on them. But then I feel sick with myself because <laughs> they're so dumb. I'm dirty. <laughs> yeah, but I love those kind of room escape type things. Like oh, um, I yeah. think it's called Room and uh, the Forever Lost series, where you have to I don't know, you find a key, you find the door, what's the code, that kind of stuff. Uh, I love them. They're great. Well, there we go. You're going to escape this podcast by the end, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and what are you playing recently? Because I've uh, because I've got this new Xbox uh, One, and I've I've got a PS4 as well, actually. So I've been trying to catch up because it took me a while to get hold of them. But right now, I'm absolutely loving God of War, like the the most recent God of War, which is just brilliant. It's like all single shot, amazingly kind of filmic in a way for a game. Um, and I've been obsessed with that recently, so that that's kind of my new thing. But that's PS4. I can't really find anything on Xbox One that I I really need to buy at the moment, so it's kind of it's kind of just sitting there. I don't know. What about you? Can I make a recommendation? Yeah, please do. The updated Worms Armageddon from the <laughs> Xbox Store. It's very very good. I'm writing it down now. 
Worms, Armageddon, Relive Childhood. Exactly. It's on the list. What about you? Uh, so the game I've absolutely loved recently has been uh, the new Resident Evil game. Resident oh. Evil Biohazard, I think it is. Is it seven? It's seven, isn't it? Number seven, yeah. And I'm an absolute coward and this game is terrifying. <laughs> and I've I've played it through once myself and it forced my housemates to play it through as well so I can watch them be terrified. Wow. And it's so good and so scary. I Yeah, I even played it with my dog in the room and my dog got scared. Wow. That's that's, how scary it is. That's incredible. The plan this week, we're going to look at how game cycles actually work. Uh, Red Dead Redemption has been out for a while and there were comments about some of the team working 100-hour weeks just before the release. And now the multiplayer has been launched. So what is a game cycle? How does it work? And what happened to these poor people? I know, exactly. Great question. And we're going to go old school with a retro revival. And this is where we look at games that have been re-released to tap into our nostalgia hunger. (laughs) And we're going to start with uh, Spyro Reignited. Oh, it's so good. I love Spyro. The best. Uh, Oh, Zombies as well is our special feature this week. I think we're both fans of zombies, would you say so? Oh, who isn't a fan of a a nice zombie? (laughs) Brains for dinner. Uh, But what is the exact fascination of zombies? zombies we will find out later on and we'll want to hear from you we're thinking of doing a feature called gaming heaven or gaming hell yeah so send us your favorite and your least favorite games and if you'd like to get in touch you can email us on our our brand new email address it's gaming at nakedscientist.com whoop whoop new email so exciting Let's start by looking at the news, and it can't have escaped you that Red Dead Redemption 2 has been released on PS4 and Xbox One, and if you haven't experienced it yet, well, it's a western action-adventure game, it's the follow-up to the hugely popular Red Dead Revolver, and Red Dead Redemption 1. Listen to me, we don't want to kill any of you, but trust me, we will. Wake them up a little! This whole thing is pretty much done. We're more ghosts than people. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a robbery. Sons of Dutch. Makes us brothers. Sometimes, brothers make mistakes. You will never change. I know that. Developed by Rockstar, it was the best-selling game of 2018... And just before it came out, one of the co-founders, Dan Hauser, said his senior writing team spent the last three weeks of the release cycle working 100-hour weeks. Well, I've been catching up with Isaac Pappis-Mardo. He's the art director and a developer with the Far Cry series from Ubisoft. It's one of the most popular series of first-person shooter games of all time. And I started by asking him how long it takes to get a game from initial concept to release. Hi. Uh, so, you know, it really varies from project to project. Uh, we at Ubisoft, it's not about really the timing and how long it takes us, but the quality that we put out. Uh, we're really lucky at Ubisoft to have the support of different development studios. So really, it's about getting that quality product out there. And we're not so uh, stressed about how long it takes. And what are some of the challenges of the process? So for me specifically as art director at Ubisoft, um, what's most challenging for me is really coming up with a vision that will surprise players. I really want to give something to the players that they haven't seen before. So for example, on Far Cry New Dawn, uh, bringing Far Cry to the post-elective setting, we really wanted to avoid all the cliche environments that people are used to, whether from movies or books or from their favorite uh, video games. And we wanted to avoid the dark and gloomy atmospheres. We really wanted to mix it up a bit. And for me, that was super important, is how do we surprise our players and give them something refreshing to play? 
And with a game like Far Cry, once you've made one game, do subsequent games take less time to make from start to finish? Yeah, you know, it, it really varies from game to game. Uh, but on Far Cry New Dawn, we chose uh, to stay in Hope County to continue that story of the post-collapse. Uh, although 17 years later did go by, we really wanted to completely transform Hope County. We really wanted it to feel different, but at the same time, familiar to those people coming back from Far Cry 5. And at the same time, we also have what we call expeditions where we transport our players to different locations across America, uh, whether it's Louisiana, whether it's the West Coast, or Arizona in the deserts. So that's something that we're really excited about is really giving the players different areas to explore and always be surprised with what he's going to see. They said it was supposed to be the end of everything. But for us... <laughs> it was just the beginning. Surviving? Nah. We were better than that. This new world had a lot to give, and we took it all. That's how we came out on top. That's how we got here. That's how we found you. What are the last few months before the actual release date like? I imagine they're quite stressful. Uh, for me, that's the most exciting part of the production. It's where all the magic happens and where we get to polish and we really get to you know, put that final touch on all the creative decisions that we took. And as art director, especially on the art side, um, that time of production is really to polish and really to craft the, the precise experience that we want to give to our players. How do you relax during that time? Uh, for me, the most relaxing thing is actually to play the build, to play the game. Uh, seeing how the world has evolved is the best thing that could ever happen to me. So uh, really, when I play the game, when I explore the world and seeing all the hard work of the team that's that's finally coming into the build and looking amazing, it, that really for me is kind of like a de-stressor and it kind of makes me happy with exactly what we achieved. And in a development cycle, is a game ever finished or does that support have to carry on afterwards you know downloadable content for example which is huge nowadays uh, nothing's ever finished artists are perfectionists and i'm sure you've heard that cliche before uh, but we're really happy with far Cry dawn and the state that it's in and i'm super excited for players to finally get their hands on it thanks to isaac papismado from the far cry team giving us an insight into how big AAA releases make their way to our consoles and computers well now let's look at the mobile side of gaming nowadays of course it's huge business and how different a process is it when it comes to releasing games on the small screen? Well, I spoke to Barry Mead, who's the commercial director of Fireproof Games. They developed the Room series of games, and if you haven't played them before, well, you should. You basically swipe and tap your screen to solve the puzzles, and their latest release is The Room Old Sins. Well, I asked Barry how an idea for a game like The Room goes from first inception to the finished product. Well, The Room, it's a, I mean, the game would have developed over the time we were developing it, if you know what I mean. We would have started with a much simpler idea. Um, and so in the case of The Room, we started with the idea of trying to recreate on, a, on an iPad screen what it feels like to play um, or to manipulate Chinese puzzle boxes. Are you aware of what they are? Absolutely, I've seen them, yeah. So they're basically like, if you imagine a um, a jewellery box, but instead of just having a lock and a key, you have maybe 
10, 50 or 100 different manipulations you have to do to open the box. It's, it's a sort of a, it's just a puzzle effectively. Um, and we thought the touchscreen was very tactile, so we wanted to make a very tactile game, uh, which was something we thought was being overlooked about the touchscreen. So we, we, we basically decided we wanted to make a game that was very um, sympathetic to how people use their phones, which is through the touchscreen. I suppose that was cutting edge when it, you know, the Room 1 was first released, was that there weren't so many games like that available on the market. I mean, nowadays there are, but you were kind of one of the first in, in my experience. Yeah, we, I think we were one of the first to take the touchscreen as a sort of central component of the game and take that very seriously. I mean, I wouldn't say that we were, def- we were the first uh, to make a good touchscreen game, far from it. Um, it was just something that we thought was missing, really. Uh, most video games on, on mobile at the time were either sort of carryover Facebook free-to-play games, which are just about clicking things, or they were really bad ports from PlayStation or PC where you had terrible control systems. Uh, just trying to be shoehorned into mobile games, which we thought was kind of crazy. So we wanted to, if we were making a PS4 game, yeah, we would try and make sure that that game sang on the PS4. And we wanted to take the same approach to mobile, where we wanted to make something that was by, about, and for mobile devices, um, but yet wasn't a free-to-play, um, highly monetized game like uh, most mobile games were at the time. It's a brilliant initial concept, but I'm, I'm interested to know how that then goes on to develop because I guess when you first started, you didn't know how long that was going to take from start to finish at all. No, I mean, well, we yes, we did in one way and didn't in another. Um, no, we didn't know. No, because we didn't actually know what the game was we were making. We just wanted to try to recreate that feeling. And so we started off with a very simple box and a very simple shapes and, it, and just sort of kept adding... Um, different ideas to it so those boxes became more and more um, complicated I guess you'd say um, and then the, uh, the the actual game The Room which if you play it is quite a creepy sort of atmospheric game all of that was made up as we went along like we, we just added that in as flavour um, and so what ended up as The Room uh, was very much not what we started off with we just um we you know we knew that our job was to turn it into a real game over the time we were developing it but we didn't know what that game was when we started it well that's that's um, really interesting because i imagine that when you work as part of a team and i know that you do that it's hard to make sure that things aren't designed by committee and that actually you have that kind of overall vision so does that mean you have to work with people who share your kind of point of view i think it really helps um i think we like fireproof studios we all started we all um met working for uh, a different games company called criterion studios who are part of ea um and so we had worked there for five years together so we were a very well schooled team very used to how each other worked uh and we yeah i mean we left and formed our own company specifically because we all got on well and we all sort of wanted the same things and we had the same standards which i think is important and, and very similar tastes. Um, but really, we had the same standards. We wanted to make really great games, you know. Um, and I think we've, we've been helped no end uh, over the years by that fact. I think it's much harder for people who don't know each other and have never worked together to start a company um, because they have to go through so much learning about each other just to even get to the point where they can talk about creative uh, aspects and, and what the business is for. Um, so I think, it, yeah, we really benefited from that um, completely. But I should say, uh, just to go back to your other point, um, the way we we did know how long the game would take was because we only had money to last us for nine months. 
So basically, we were an outsourcing. Co- we were making art outsour- uh, freelance artwork for other games companies. That was our business. We were making the room on the side with only two out of our 10 staff on that game. And then the other eight was, 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 you know, paying the bills effectively. And so we had about a hundred, I don't know, between 80 and a hundred thousand pounds in the bank, which would have last, which would basically have paid for those two people to work on that game for about eight or nine months. And then we were done. We had no money left. So irrespective of anything, we had to finish the game in, in uh, eight months, eight to nine months. And so that's what we did. (laughs) So we did know how long it would take, um, and the fact is, you know, the game was formed around those um, limitations, right? The, the, the room is shaped the way it is and looks the way it is um, because we had to make very practical decisions as we were developing it um, as to what we could achieve in nine months. Can I ask so, you then about the subsequent games? Because you, obviously with the success of the first one, you might have a bit more time, a bit more money to spend on the sequels that there are available now. Did you have more time and more money? It was infinitely different, yes. It was infinitely different. I mean, The Room was such a hit um, that uh, we we very much listened to what people had said about the first one. Um, we made a very short, simple game uh, with The Room. Um, so the first thing that we did when we finished it was we created um, a DLC pack, which people could download for free, which basically expanded the game by about 30% in length um, and added in a lot more content. And then, we, and then, and then we, and we made that free for everybody. And then we went on to the room two after that. And the room two, to give you an example, uh, probably cost about ten to fifteen times more to make than the room one. But then I suppose you, you can invest that into the room two because people know what they're going to get, but they want bigger and better. I suppose is always the case with a, with a sequel. That's true. But um, yes, the, that's all true. I mean. But but it was also ourselves. We wanted to do much better, right? We we had so many limitations when we made the room one. We had so many ideas we couldn't put in. Um, so with the room two, you know, the, it was also ourselves. We wanted to to completely ace it and, and just make something that was on every level better than your previous game. I mean, one one thing you're not really aware of, if, unless you're in the games industry, is if you have a hit, if you make a first game and it, and it hits. It's incredibly hard to recreate that in the second game. Doesn't matter how big you make it or how swanky or how evolved it is or how much better the graphics are. What you're missing is the surprise of something novel, right? So that's gone and that novelty is what really people love about the, um a game when when they when it first arrives and it's not like anything else. So you you're you're on a losing battle by creating a sequel and we knew that we you know we've been in games long enough to know that it's incredibly hard to keep that same level of interest so we had to knock it out the park right we had to do everything um bigger and better basically um just to and that's only to keep the same level of interest we never expected the room 2 to be bigger than the room is um, we just wanted to get back to where we were, effectively. But we knew that we had to try five, ten times harder in order to get that back. So, so when you bring it onto the room three, which is also out, and then the room old sins as well, you, you you're creating yeah. a rod for your own back here. We are indeed, yes. But that's what it's like. <laughs> you know, if you get success, you you want you don't want to go backwards, right? You just uh, it's it seems um, pointless to go backwards. So we always want to do better, always with each one. Is there a, a kind of crunch time? Because you'll have probably heard in the games industry, big kind of blockbuster AAA releases like Red Dead Redemption, there was talk of, you know, you've got to get it out by the deadline. It doesn't really matter. Just all hands to the pump. I imagine that yeah. with the, the kind of game that you're making and a smaller team, it might not be quite the same. But just give me some insight into kind of those, those final months and weeks. What's it like when it gets towards release? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you would be busier for sure. Um, a bit more nerve-wracking. I mean, we're not a company that crunches. We don't believe in it. We've had to do it so much in our own previous professional um, careers. We basically, we just don't do it at all in our in our company. And if our game takes longer and we have to pay more money, then that's what we do. Um, but not everyone can do that, right? Not everyone can afford to be in that position. I mean, there are small you know, teams of one or two or three people who have no money to begin with and who are still trying to make a game and they have to work their asses off to get it done. Do you know? Um, so it's not just big companies. It's, it's kind of everywhere. Um, I guess just big companies historically have used crunch as a crutch, right, for being cheap or being bad at management. Um, and that's usually... Um, you know that's very often what happens. Uh, people can get too used to it, and it just becomes part part of the um, you know the fabric of working in a games company. And that's what you have to reject, right? Just as, as a, a sort of a, uh, you have to reject that from your culture um, overtly. Like it's it's hard to fight it unless you say, "Look, we're just not going to have this." So it's a, it's a choice for um, every company, I guess. But it's I'd say it's I'd say it was a lot worse ten years ago. I, I think it's much reduced now. Thanks to Barry Mead, who's the commercial director for Fireproof Games. Stop kidding around, Snake. Snake. Now George is going to look at why we're so fascinated with zombies. <laughs> It's an undeniable mainstay of the gaming industry. Whether it's horror, survival or first-person shooter, the humble zombie is the butt of much video game violence. But why do we love to take a hammer, AK-47 or indeed any kind of offensive weapon to the poor zombie? Other than the fact that they're trying to eat our brains. Well, many of us love being scared. It's like riding a roller coaster. You give your fear circuits a little test drive and get a boost of adrenaline, all the while knowing you're in a safe environment. Horror films, theme parks, haunted houses, they're all popular because of this. But why are zombies so scary? Well, according to Dr. Hank Davis from the University of Guelph, there are three powerful triggers of fear that are a result of our evolution. The first is a fear of being chomped on, which arises from being very much part of the food chain. We're very sensitive to things that prey on us, to a sense of being stalked, to a sense of menace. The second is a fear of the disgusting and gory. We are very, very aware of rotting bodies, gore. And it's very good that we avoid these things because they do harbor nasty bacteria that can kill us. So rotting organic matter is not something you want to play with or eat. And finally, a fear of the uncanny, a person who violates our sense of what a person actually is. The biggest reason is that you can't reason with it. More than any other species on the planet, ours uses reason. We reason with each other. We are a very, very social species. And guess what? Zombies tick all three scare boxes. Zombies are also good because they're predators. They carry deep contagion. They themselves are dead bodies, so you don't want to get too close to them. And finally, they won't reason with us. So there you have it. Zombies are the ultimate spooks. 
And it could also be argued that zombies provide those of us who feel slightly weird about gruesomely murdering a fellow human, even if they are computer-generated, a guilt-free monster to blow to smithereens. (sighs) Thank you, Georgia. Right, let's look at some new releases then, games that we've both been playing quite a lot, actually, recently. Uh, Georgia, why don't you start with a game that I've never heard of, so you're going to have to explain this one to me. Yes, even the name is weird. It's called Human Full Flat. I saw a sign. I had no clue what it tried telling me. Escape the dreams of falling by solving puzzles using only your wits and physics. Human with zero superpowers. Given the right tools can do a lot. Misusing the tools, he can do even more. Explore surreal dreamscapes. Riddled with puzzles and distractions. A game where every rule can be bent. And every solution is welcome. Will you try to open that mysterious door? Or would you rather see how far you can throw a speaker set out the window? Human Fall Flat. This is something I just came across in the PlayStation uh, shop while I was uh, on holiday with my housemates. And it's so weird, and that's what makes it so brilliant. So you're these little horrible, fleshy, dough people running around in this kind of weird, abstract environment. And all you can really do is run around and hold things. And if 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 you're holding something, you can lift it up or drop it. And that's, that's... pretty much the entire game mechanism so that's it all you can do you can just grab stuff and drop stuff and the end yeah and you can jump oh great so those are the two things (laughs) but they fought really really hard about this and there's loads of different puzzles where you need to pick things up and drop things or grab things and move things around and just use the sort of physics mechanisms to try and get through different areas and it's just kind of weirdly surreal and relaxing you're running around you can also uh, it's co-op which is always good so always you can funny pick up your friend and throw them off the map and <laughs> then they fall back down um or you can like um maybe there's a door you have to get through and you actually have to pick up a rock and drop it on the lock which breaks it or there's a catapult that you have to get in and launch the mechanism so there's like loads of loads of different things they've thought of for this really really basic mechanic and it's just great is it a bit like little big planet when because you mentioned co-op and i I was just thinking of in in some of the controls there you know the characters start to sort of you know like ragdoll around the place and stuff and and it sounds like it's co-op as well is it got that kind of feel to it do you know what i was actually looking for little big planet oh really to play because i remembered really enjoying that at uni and i couldn't find it but i did find this one and i thought it looked exactly the same kind of stupid (laughs) falling around uh, getting into trouble kind of game and yeah it, it, it is quite similar uh, but you don't have Stephen Fry's dulcet tones narrating. I mean, so you know, you can't have everything. So, what do you reckon? It sounds like it's the game that is best played in co-op. Maybe I tend to think that about all games. Yeah. I, I really <laughs> like games where you can have a pal on the sofa and just um, try and solve it together. But I think you can play it on your own. But it helps to have, it helps for the puzzles to have a buddy there who maybe thinks slightly differently to you. And you, I think you can have up to eight people play wow. at once, which That's sounds loads. like chaos. <laughs> I think it'd be a case of too many. 
uh, doughboys uh, spoil the puzzle. <laughs> so give it a score out of ten. Then what's your feeling if you're gonna if you're gonna rate it out of ten? Ooh, eight. Eight out of ten. That's a very strong score. And what about you? What have you been playing? Well, even though I bought this Xbox One X recently, I don't feel like I can honestly say I've been playing it that much. I mean, I've I've been trying, but really, what's been taking up most of my time. Um, is an expansion, so I think that's kind of fair game ready. This is a Hearthstone, um, which is a card game which a lot of people will be aware of. You can play it on your mobile or you can play it in loads of different varieties. Um, this is called Rastakhan's Rumble, which is like an expansion of the existing Hearthstone universe. There's 135 new cards, um, and every time this comes around, it's about, you know, they do three or four expansions per year, it changes everything. Suddenly it's like a whole brand new game. I'll be honest with you, I've never really been into card games. Like Magic the Gathering never really appealed to me. I played a bit of Pokemon cards at school and a bit of... Yu-Gi-Oh, which is probably the kind of the, the nerdiest I've gone when it comes to card games. But for some reason, I'm just absolutely addicted to this at the moment. So I've been, you know, not spending any money because it's free to play. Uh, you can earn gold by destroying other people at this card game. And it, it's just really, really addictive. It's not it's not one of the best expansions they've done because it doesn't totally change what they call like the meta game, which is essentially the sorts of decks that people are playing. You know, if, if like 90% of people are playing one thing, you can sort of tech your one and try and destroy them but i've been really really enjoying it and it, i'd say it's taken up most of my gaming time so i don't know hearthstone it's like a game that keeps on giving for me and this new expansion i've really enjoyed so it's kind of been consuming me i mean half the words you said you may as well have been speaking a different language <laughs> hearthstone yes do you say rasta rumble rasta khan's rumble i know that all the names of, of their expansions are, are kind of crazy and when you said card game, I was thinking of like a, de- a normal deck of cards, but I'm I'm now getting the impression that's not what you mean. No, so this is this is like a computerized card game. So it's like um, instead of rolling dice, which you might do in a card game, and like playing down your physical cards, this is like an online on your mobile phone kind of card game. You imagine like poker online, except with crazy Warcraft heroes destroying each other. That's kind of what it is. Oh, okay, so you could flip like uh, I don't know, or an orc. Yeah, exactly that. That, exactly that beats that. up the neighbouring player's <laughs> card of I don't know, a goblin. Exactly right. You've got it. You, it sounds like you played before. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really good. I, I've, I've just if you haven't played Hearthstone before and you don't want to spend any money, just to start off with, there's really good training modes in it as well. There's single player options available. You don't have to spend any actual money. And it's properly good. Um, I, this expansion itself, it's probably going to get a 6 out of 10 from me. But every time they come round, it's like an exciting couple of weeks for me. So I'm right in the middle of that at the moment. Hadouken! Let's look at an old school game now that's been brought back to life in Retro Revival. We're a big fan of old school games. You know, It's like reliving your childhood, isn't it? I haven't been able to work it out. Were old games better or was I dumber and easier to impress? <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you play um, revival games and relaunched games, the graphics they have nowadays is how you remember them to be. Do you see what I mean by that? So when you were playing GoldenEye the first time round, when it gets revived, you think, oh, yes, the graphics are actually OK in the reversioned uh, imagining of the game. But actually, no, they were terrible if you play the proper original. 
Uh, this week we're going to look at Spyro the Dragon, Spyro Reignited, which we've both been playing probably more than an acceptable adult should play. I think I smell a barbecue. Looks like I've got some things to do. Spyro. 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 I'm getting a little winded. Uh, how did you find it playing along? I mean, yeah, I'm a sucker for anything that reminds me of like those early PlayStation 1 games. It was, it's so nice to just play the games again. But then I kind of think with these, like, I would maybe just rather be playing the original because yeah. the graphics look great, but the gameplay and the sort of the rubbish graphics are kind of part of the charm. Yeah. Um, there's this sort of weird blocky quality to everything which is really nice and then they change things <laughs> and i don't like change <laughs> wow it's like philistine view i don't want these games to change <laughs> how dare they improve graphics <laughs> <laughs> but i know what you mean by that because i was you know and i i had this exact situation that you um, were talking about earlier where i used to go around to a friend's house who had spyro the dragon because i never had a playstation one and i went around and played spyro and i loved it i never talked to this friend ever and i just totally played their playstation um do you think it was the same friend <laughs> yeah it probably was yeah that you probably just ditched them and i'd probably jumped in then um but i i went back to play it as an adult and it was i this is why i was so keen to get it and i know it's like 30 quid you know when it was released i was really keen to play it because i thought right finally my own copy of spyro the dragon but the the graphics are almost too good do you know what i mean by that yeah, it's so polished. It's mm. less charming. It's like those old Disney animations where you can see all the hand-drawn pencil lines. That's part of the charm, and they lose that with all the sort of the swanky computer animation. Do you think the basic gameplay? Because I mean, it's more basic compared to some of the games that you play nowadays. Do you think that's actually a good thing, though, compared to really complicated games? And and you know, really, you know, you don't really have to use all the buttons in Spyro. I think that's part of what made it such a good game i mean another one they they rejigged was crash bandicoot and that was again very very basic just kind of running along and jumping and it's fun like there are dips there there are bits that are really really hard and i feel like with modern games often it's just either a bit too easy Mm. or so much focusing on this like amazing graphics and look at this world we've created that the gameplay itself is just a bit meh yeah. Can I also say that I did play a tiny bit of Crash, uh, the relaunch version, and I absolutely suck at it. I really suck hard at Crash, so <laughs> I'm I'm furious. I, d- I haven't really touched that one as much as Spyro, but I did I did enjoy playing Spyro, and it did feel like I was reliving my childhood and getting a copy of that game, which I never fully owned as a kid. And you know, I've managed to find about thirty dragons so far in game number one of the trilogy. You know, you get quite a lot for your money here. 30 drag out of how many? I think it's a hundred. It might be a hundred. Chris, you've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) So I've got to go. Got to to catch some dragons. (laughs) I have one tiny gripe as Mm. well to mention about this game. So they're uh, bringing Spyro back for the modern age and hooray, it's all been updated. But I found the controls and the camera angles 
really, really irritating and hard mm. to use. And I don't know if it was like that in the original game, but I feel like when you're doing something like this, you got to get it right, yeah. really. Like, there's no excuse. Uh, and I looked online and it seems like a lot of people were uh, having similar complaints and looking for an update. So it feels like they haven't quite polished all the edges. I still enjoyed it anyway, but yeah. It, is it <laughs> This worth... game about a purple dragon is totally unrealistic. <laughs> I, I demand some more realism. Well, that's it for this month. If there's a game you'd like us to look at, you can get in touch with the show. The email address is gaming at nakedscientists.com. And don't forget to send us your gaming heaven and hell for a feature that we're planning for the future. What's your favourite game and what do you hate playing? And um, thanks very much for listening to the first ever episode of Naked Gaming. We'll be back next month. Do join us then. (laughs) 